and but then, are you going to announce what is the how are we going to announce the award? So I think that it's going to be between you and John. But what's the full title? I don't even remember what the award is. Lordine della Stella della Italia Rinata or something along those lines. What is it? Ordine? What I call it? I came up with that in a fantasia world. What was it? Lordine della Stella d'Italia Rinata. <laughs> I just, no, was, I just, I just put my headset back on and heard that. And heard you you laugh at yourself and say, like, what did I call it? It's the first time I've ever heard you laugh at yourself. Because <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't a fantasy. I killed that. <laughs> was it? Lordina di Stella d'Oro. What's even making more of that? Oh, yeah. And they're and going to get a big, they're going to get cookies. Of course. <laughs> oh, shucks. I would have written a diploma if I knew. That you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly you get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola, and we've got a special episode for you today, one in which you are going to get to meet some of our really wonderful listeners, some of our fans out there who are being recognized on this episode with the special award that was dreamed up by none other than uh, my partner in crime, the notorious P.O.B., Pat O'Boyle. Pat has created what we are calling the Il Sacro Ordine della Stella d'Oro d'Italianità, the Sacred Order of the Golden Star of Italianness, I think is the best name after the dozens that we've come up with. But Pat wanted to recognize some of our listeners and some of our friends in the new neighborhood who have written to us or contacted us and shared with us the family traditions that they have revived or brought back or evolved forward based on their interaction with the podcast and the platform and everything we try to do. And so we're really looking forward to sharing some of them with you and bringing them on here on the show to not only get the recognition that they deserve for all they're doing, but also to sort of inspire everybody else out there and encourage everyone to Think about your family traditions and the things that you might have lost and you might miss and look at ways that you can bring them back and share them with the younger generations of your family and make them new and exciting for future generations. So, Pat, what exactly was the impetus behind this whole thing? The reason why I wanted to establish this award, this honor, this recognition is that there are so many unsung heroes in the Italian-American community who are working in the home, in the neighborhood, in the parish to hold on to these traditions that this podcast was created to celebrate. And they're, they're unknown. Maybe what they're doing is only known locally or within the family, but they are planting the seeds for a future resurrection of our Italian-American civilization. Because by continuing these traditions or reviving these traditions or going above and beyond to teach it to their children or bringing it back, they are planting the seeds because we are all here today because someone planted a seed in us. Yeah, that's true. It was the grandmother, the grandfather, the uncle. I mean, did my grandmother think all the time she dedicated to me yeah, and all the stuff she taught me would ever take off into something like this project? She's the star of everything I have. I feel the same way about my grandparents. Because she gave it to me. What better monument can I give to her than this podcast? So for these unsung heroes, I want to recognize them for the efforts that they have done and to encourage other people you know, oh, are we making the pies this Easter? And there's always, I call it, the, you know, the, the negative Nelly in the family. Oh, what do you want to be bothered with that for? Oh, it's going to raise your cholesterol. Oh, it's too much work. Oh, I never liked them anyway. There's always somebody trying to tell you not to do it, right? Yeah. And so people are sitting around a table at Easter, and they don't have anything that was in the family because, you know, negative Nelly said, oh, why do we have to be bothered with that for? Like um, Heather in the New Neighborhood said, just the time of people gathering as a family, to create these projects, to make the Easter bread, to make, you know, the great grandmother's ravioli recipe for Christmas, to jar tomatoes, like when Mike jarred the tomatoes, 
just to gather that builds a family. And the idea that people are reviving these things, like I think that's for me and you having gone through this journey together and everybody in the audience knows how I always pushed you. We have to participate with this podcast, Dolores and Anthony, get Rosella. I think it's safe to say one of the pleasantly shocking things for you is how many people write us and tell us how they've revived a tradition or they, you know, they decided to name their kid after their parent or they decided to do this. And I think that's the, the power of this platform. So I like the fact that you're recognizing people who are going backwards into their roots and their memory and reviving and moving forward a tradition, you know? It's the mortar that holds together the bricks of the family. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. If the members of the family are bricks, this is the mortar. Yeah. Because, you know, a generation, you know, two, three generations ago, my grandma used to talk about when, when jarred tomatoes came out and you could buy them in the supermarket, what a marvel it was. Yeah. And my grandma said the first time they bought a can, like, you know, the Curiosity, a canned supermarket tomato. So I know I've said in the past how my grandma was paranoid about jarring because of the family that got killed from bad jarring when she was a kid. Her uncle turned to her and said in Italian, this is house paint. <laughs> I don't want to eat this. This is house paint. Yeah. But for them, they had worked so hard because there weren't options. Yeah. So if you wanted tomato sauce on a Sunday, you had to jar it in the summer. Yeah. Today we have the options. And with the convenience of modern technology, with machinery, with stuff you can buy for the home, the laboriousness, and it was very, very hard work years ago, it goes from being a hard labor to a beautiful hobby. Yeah, that's right. And that's the gift that we have. Could you go out and buy tomatoes? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, your kids, your parents, even if you're blessed to have your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, everyone working together to draw those tomatoes, they are the memories that your children will have. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's why I do what I do. So the next generation has it and it's there and it's a living, breathing example. Something evolved forward for the 21st century, but with the essence of what my experience as an Italian-American was. And I hope the essence of what my parents and grandparents and all of my ancestors before uh, shared with me in their Italian-American experience. So this is a wonderful opportunity to meet some really cool people, some stellar Italian-Americans. The three Italian-Americans that you're going to meet today, we spoke to at different times over the course of the last few months. And uh, I know the first one is near and dear to Pat's heart because one of our longtime listeners has taken it upon himself to revive a very ancient Neapolitan tradition within his family. I know many of us grew up having a, a creche, a presepio at Christmas time. But if you've listened to the show before, you know Pat's completely obsessed with the Neapolitan art of presepio making. And if you've not seen a presepio from Napoli, then you've not seen a presepio. What you've seen is a nativity set. So we're going to go back in time and meet our first awardee who is receiving this honor for his dedication to the ancient Neapolitan art of presepio making. So Chris Francese is one of our loyal listeners. He is also a member of the New Neighborhood. He has received the Stella d'Oro for his outstanding, outstanding work for his presepio. Now, everyone knows that deep down in my heart, there's a great love for the presepio. It's a Neapolitan tradition. And I just want to say that Chris, with Ruth deep, deep, deep in Campania, has built a stellar presepio. And you have one piece, Chris, in particular that got you today's award. Why don't you tell us about that special piece, the church of your, of your hometown? When I, I built the actual front of the, of the scene, I had an antique nativity that was my mom's mom's. And after learning about all the presepio, you know, I decided, oh, I want to build something around that. So last year I built that. And we happened to have gone to the town and saw the, the house that my great-grandfather was born in. That my... And what town is that, Chris, so everybody out, out there knows? That's Tremonti. It's in the mountain right off the Amalfi Coast. So, you know, I was fortunate to see, you know, see the house that, you know, that my ancestors came from. And I, I wanted to model one of the houses after that house. So that's how that started. And then... From the outside, all you saw there was the cork. So this year I said, I want to, you know, put something in the front, like just like the facade of one of the churches. So it was kind of perfect, you know, with the layout of the one church that's in the section of the town, which is Campanola, where that part of the family came from. So I built the, the facade of the church and the little Campanile. And uh, that's, what, that's what I did. God bless you. So just to reiterate for everyone, what is so spectacular about Chris's perception is that one of the buildings in the Presepio is an exact scale model of the church of his ancestral hometown of Tramonti, outside of Salerno, off the Amalfi Coast. He built this from scratch, and that is in his Presepio. 
Well, let me tell you, Chris, first of all, congratulations on being the first honoree of Pat's newest award. And I'm totally impressed by the fact that you did this and personalized it so much. Do you have any plans to add pieces? I mean, Pat has a serious, serious collection of, you yeah, know, it's, it's getting out of control. The, the it's town getting like, it's getting, it's out getting, of control. getting out of control. It's getting, I mean, it's out of control, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's the next level where it's not funny anymore, but you foresee expanding the presepio. I don't know where I'm going to put it all. Not you, him. Oh yeah, sure. We could have rival. <laughs> we could be real tanks. Have rival towns. Your Persepio could be close to you for my Persepio. We could go to war and stuff. My pieces can attack you. What do you think, Chris? Well, thank you very much. First, for uh, the appreciation of what I did. I mean, I've always been a creative type person, so it was so much fun to build, and it is very addicting. Like I look at it and going, I ran out of space in this windowsill. Like. I'm thinking about like where else could I put this thing to like expand on it, you know? Like, uh oh, there's not much more I can do. I mean, I added a bunch more figurines this year. The only thoughts I had so far for next year was putting in proper lighting instead of like little, you know, little LED lights inside it, so it had something. But I don't know what I could do with where it is now. Chris, building a Persepio is like eating on a holiday. There's always room for more. <laughs> do not cut yourself off. I don't care what your wife says. Just tune her out. I'm not a marriage no, counselor. No. I'm a Persepio advocate. Keep building. So people are going to say you're wacky, but you could be the Manhattan of skyscrapers of Persepio pieces. <laughs> the insanity is addictive. you got to keep going. No one can top that piece. They could build something great, but they'll never build something great. No, I saw I saw the video of the one that's, I guess, in Brooklyn, that big one that's, that's over there. And I look at that and go, huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All I can tell you is God spares one day when we get back to normal life and we're doing our long planned uh, Italian American podcast tours of Italy. If we get to do one in Naples, uh, we'll, we'll have to book an entire day of Presepio shopping with Pat in San Gregorio Armeno because I've done multiple times an entire day with him at every vendor. And there's, I'm, I promise you, you will leave with more mechanics, lighting figures. You'll have, you could build a whole country, let alone a village. So you know, it's bad when they say, I haven't seen you in a while. It's been a couple of months. <laughs> That's very true. John's been there for those conversations. <laughs> That's wow, true. Wow, I haven't seen you in three months. It's been like forever. That's true. And the well, other horrible thing is when you walk through and there's no more pieces left to buy. It's like being the Alexander the Great of Persephone. Well, now you could bring Chris and you can have like a an apprentice. Yeah, Chris. You understand that that piece you created is the gateway drug. You understand that, right? Yeah, I look at it and I, you know, I'm always looking at it like, what else could I add somewhere? But I'm not sure in the space that it's at, what I could do. Just so you know, John spoke when we were in San Gregorio Armeno to the Persepio makers. He wants to have a him in the Constantinian order uniform. I'm going to have a piece made of John in his uniform and you can add him. He can guard the baby Jesus with his Caballero sword. It's full uniform. It's far more so, likely that there's a Pat piece made in Naples before mine. Mine will be on horseback. <laughs> I'll have the equestrian statue. Yeah, the fourth wise man. The fourth All right. wise man. Chris, congratulations. Well done. Whatever Chris. Pat Rob, is sending as the physical prize, I hope you enjoy it. And thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting the show so much. We appreciate it. And thank you. You got this award today because we are recognizing Italian-Americans who have gone above and beyond to preserve and propagate our culture. And that is why we are honoring you today. What you did with that Persepio, you have received the Golden Star today. So Chris, on behalf of a grateful nation, on behalf of all the Italians in America, I say thank you. Now, Pat, your second honoree is someone you've known for a very long time, uh, Mr. Mike Giordano, who is from your hometown. North Arlington, New Jersey, and has recently revived within his family a time-old tradition. And he's also been the engine behind evolving forward his family's traditional Italian-American business into something uh, new and forward-looking and interesting. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about our next honoree, Mike? Michael Giordano is like the great sage of our time <laughs> because you have a clairvoyance. You see things for what they are. I know Mike since Mike is 13 years old. Wow. Yeah. I yeah, 13 years old. I was 15. You're a year older than me, right? Yeah, I'm January 75, and you're December 76. Yes. It was Queen of Peace would have, I guess it was the Friday or the Wednesday. Wednesday. The Wednesday, when the freshmen would come in, they yep. had this big, like, all the clubs in school would have, like, tables in the gym. 
And I was with the Italian club and I was down there and Mike's sister was a year ahead of me in school. I knew Mike's sister. And she goes, I want you to meet my brother. So that was September of 1990. Oh, 30 years. I know I'm 30. My daughter, is it 30 years? Oh, wow. I don't know who else I could introduce with more love and more affection. You're going to make me cry. As if my blood ran through his veins than Michael Giordano. Uh, Michael Giordano is an entrepreneur. He's a philosopher. He's a doctor of great thought. He's a visionary. He's a father. He's a husband. But more important than all that, he is my friend. I know this kid since he was 13 years old. We went to high school together. He was a year behind me in high school. His sister Andre was a year ahead of me in high school. I remember your sister sweet 16, and your father had the cases of fruit on the table because Mike's family is in the fruit and vegetable business. And they're Italian from Jersey City. We all made the same migration. Italian from Jersey City. They went to Winhurst. We went to North Arlington. And I took a time with Mike. Besides everything else, I took a time with Mike. And I, some of the happiest, best memories of my life I have with Mike, with Mario, with all the people that we went to. Chris Ritchie was in that class. I'll tell you how strong the Italian community was in Queen of Peace. When our Italian teacher, who was our leader, was removed. Well, she left. She left Queen of Peace. We had a teacher that came in. Do you know what she said to us? The Italian community was too strong in Queen of Peace. She told us the Italian class was too strong. And she told us we were too proud of being Italian. Wow. See, I didn't remember that back. Yeah, she I, goes, oh, I, you are, because of course I started trouble. The only time I got yelled at by, by the principal was that time. Because it's not going to work. Because I was trying to leave an Italian revolt. Because she said that, she goes, the Italian kids in this school have to be more open to other cultures. She was ahead of her time, huh? Yeah. Well. <laughs> but we weren't chauvinists. It was, we had a very strong Italian community. But Mike has made, there is nobody funnier in the world than Michael Giordano. He has great wisdom, great foresight. I had a, what else I want to tell you? It's a funny story that I remember. Hey, wait a minute. I got to go for dinner. My wife's cooking. So let's All right, do, Mike, do I got the, the presentation. You got Mike. the wrong guys here. If you, if you, you are, you are, <laughs> do you my understand, life. Mike, this, John, this was our life growing up. We had a fantastic childhood. That's exactly how Pat and I ended up joining on the podcast it was basically four hour conversations about all this stuff. And I said, we could do this. We, we talk like this. You guys, I mean, you guys seem like, you know, best of friends. It's a, it's like very natural. I like it. And I, it's, it's absolutely like, true. When I hear you guys talking. I, it's the conversations I have with Pat. Yeah. You guys though, you, honestly, not the, the podcast. It's, it's beautiful because I'm not real. I was never really like this proud Italian because it was like, eh, my mother's mother would tell me we don't speak Italian because when we came here, you know, you weren't supposed to speak Italian. They said, learn English. And then, you know, She's born, I think, 1917 or 1918. My father's born 33. So my father spoke at time, but didn't speak to us because there was nobody left to speak to. Yeah. So, you know, I only heard the curses. And that's what I would go to school and tell Patrick. And then he would translate for me. Oh, and then so he'd be like, I can't <laughs> say that. Because His father would say stuff. You know, I, I, yeah, yeah, you I'm can't. Just laughing. So it was, uh, that's all I knew. But hearing the podcast and hearing you guys talk about it, I realized that, you know, this is good. I like the tradition. I, I, I get it more now because I don't pack and tell you the story. We opened up my, uh, the business and I was a senior in high school. So I guess you were a freshman in college at that point, Pat. And we opened the December 23rd of 93 and I graduated in May of 94. And my dad passed away in August of 94 at 59. So I was a 17 year old and I was going to go to Rutgers Newark, like my sister went and I didn't go because there was nobody in the store. It was just my brother and my mom. So I didn't go. And that was 26, 27 years ago. Wow. See, I, it was like a, a relief to me because I didn't want to go anyway. My father's going to force me to go, even though I don't think he really believed in it. It's funny because my wife's parents are more that like off the boat, closer to Italy. They had that like they didn't know what was going on. She had to fill out like her brothers had to fill out her paperwork. The things you guys talk about, I've heard on many podcasts. Yeah. That was her life. But mine, my, my, my parents were both born here. And my father was just in the business. He worked seven days a week. And it was like, yeah, go to school, but it wasn't a something that they really were intricately involved with. Like it was not. That's why even to this day, I struggle with it with my own kids because I look, I hear these kids and they're like all stressed out which college. They're in. And my father would say, "They'll take you in any college as long as you have the money to pay for it." And because you know how <laughs> kids get when they're in their teens. And I wasn't, you know, I just wanted to work because you know I wanted to do what they did. So yeah, I I, I didn't go and worked out okay for me. Let me tell you something. Nobody ever worked harder than Mike. I went to school with Mike. When you were at the first store, not the store you have now, the old store, you guys used to be working 10, 11 o'clock at night, come home, meet, do homework, and go to school the next day. Yes. I want this recorded for posterity. <laughs> they would work 11 o'clock at night, come home, eat, 
Sometimes you'd be one, two o'clock in the morning, right? Remember one time your mother made broken up. You came into Italian. Your mother was cooking like broken up at 11.30 at night that you were bringing home from the store. Wow. Do his homework and go into school the next day. Well, when we first opened the store, it was I was senior year. And so my sister was, was first year in Rutgers, I guess, or second year. And I got my license. I'm birthday in December, so I got it late. And she didn't want to drive. It was, it was this, the winter of 94 when it was lots of snow. It was a really bad snowy winter. And I had a 1984 Delta 88. That was my mom's when she got it when it was new. So it was a 10-year-old car. Transmission was bad. The heat was broke. And the window wouldn't go up. But you didn't want to spend three, 400 to fix the motor in the window. So my sister didn't want to drive to Newark, to Rutgers. So I would drive the car. And then I would get out of, out of Queen of Peace at uh, 2.35. I think we would get out. Right, Pat? And yeah, then yes, yes, I yes. would go to Newark, pick her up, and then go to Jersey City. If I oh. wasn't in the store by 3.30, I would get... What, what took you so long? What I did, all, what, you don't, you don't want this. I did those for you, but my dad started on a, on a horse and wagon with a hundred bucks sure. because his wow. brother, I'll tell this one quick story and then I'll let you just get to it. My dad was 14. This is the story. I don't know how true this is, but I think it's pretty true. I love this story about the artichokes. About the artichokes. So, tell this story. I love this story. So he's uh, he's peddling artichokes seven for a quarter. So his, with his brother, I believe his brother, Tony, who was the oldest one who came back from the war and he was 20 years old, whatever it was. So my dad's a kid. He's 13, 14, something like that. So seven artichokes for a quarter. He gets the quarter and he's flipping it in his finger. Now you talk about blood memory all the time. I believe it's true because my son can't keep his hands still for two seconds. And I refuse to get him a fidget spinner because I don't believe in that. <laughs> so he's flipping the quarter in his finger and he drops the quarter down the sewer. So he gets back to the wagon and his brother says, where's the quarter? Oh, I dropped it. So he beats him in the street and he goes back home and he says, Hey, Paul, I want to go out by myself. I don't want to go with Tony anymore. So his father gives him a hundred dollars and a wagon and a pony. I still have the wagon today, right now in my store, the wagons there. Wow. Took that wagon, brought it to uh, Amish country in Pennsylvania, had it completely rebuilt. And I have pictures of me on that wagon as a kid in front of the store. So now I still have wow. the wagon. So he went out with the wagon, a hundred bucks and a pony and started paddling himself at 13 or 14, went from the wagon to a truck body with the side cut out, from a truck body to a, an actual truck, which I have pictures of, which is really nice. A 53 Chevy was his first new truck. And then from there, he built a store and it goes on and on and on. But seven artichokes for a quarter started it all. And you turned the whole business that you, when you took over, from what I understand from Pat, you- We were produce. When, I, when, we, right. when we first opened when, in 93 and 94, we were produce. And yeah. it was a, a retail store, big walk-in box in the back. Then uh, I don't know if you know Jerry City, Hoboken area at all. There's a there's a Target there now. Where that Target was, so picture this: we're open for maybe a year, year and a half. My dad dies eight months after we opened. Every we were doing real well in the beginning, but everything's chaos. And typical Italian family, which is a whole nother podcast. The wills, everything's not in order like it's supposed to be. There's no sure. session plan. It's this is aprons and cash in your pocket. This is not yeah. what it is now. Computers and this not. Yeah. So. Food Mart International opens up where Target is now, which is a, a gigantic Asian live fish tanks, butcher. Every, they almost put us out of business. We went, we were doing a quarter of the business in six months. So then we reinvented ourselves, started doing wholesale delivery to restaurants. And we always sold plants around the holidays. And then we just kept going more. And I got to get that to my brother because he's the one who really pushed the plant stuff more. And we started bringing in plants from Florida, indoor house plants and flower. Now it's nowhere near what it used to be. It's different. But it's now it's a full garden center. So we do now we're doing Christmas trees. So this was a real interesting year with Christmas trees. Mike, do you guys do seeds? You don't do seeds and stuff out of your place. Yeah, of course we do. And speaking of seeds, you got to put this in. My friend and Pat knows Mauro, Magarelli. He gave me some seeds that his dad brought back from Mofetta. Mofetta's tomatoes. The little pointy ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his, his dad passed away tragically too at a young age. And he had to see, yeah, he wrote a story about, it's a beautiful story about the tomato seeds that he found in the garage and he wasn't going to do them. And then he planted them and the seeds, his father would do them every year. And every year we'd take the seeds from the tomato. And then he gave me some of the seeds and I was honored to get those seeds. Yeah. And I planted them and I got pictures of me and Mauro with my son when he was a baby next to the tomato plants in my backyard. They must be nine feet tall. And, oh, I, my and, I, and I still have, I dry them on a paper towel. I put them in the pantry and I still have the original ones he gave me. I think it was 2011, maybe. And I every year I do them. This year I got sidetracked. I didn't do them. I felt bad. Next year I'm going to do them. Those are real heirloom seeds. That's exactly. I believe that. And my wife's family's house, they sold their house in Tuscany two or three years ago. My my great, my great grandmother's like 93. She was never going to go back. 
And so my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my wife and I went to do the clean out. And my wife was talking about, you know, I'm really going to miss how we used to spend the summers under the grapevines here and eat these grapes. And blah, blah. So I knew I couldn't bring a grape plant back across the borders. So I took grapes without her seeing and I took out all the seeds. And then I realized you can't just plant grape seeds. You need somebody who could actually figure out how to propagate them. And I can't figure out how to do that. We so- have a listener, Owen Taylor. Do we really? Yeah, we got a listener. We got, listen, he's like an Italian neighbor. We got everybody. We got a guy. I got right, a guy. Yeah, yeah. Owen Taylor, are you listening? Yeah, absolutely. Right, he's well, our guy. I will yeah, find see, him. See, John, I'm a retailer. I'm not, I don't know. I didn't, yeah, you know, people I don't know. Did you go to school for, no, I just know how to sell things. I started selling rotten cantaloupes when I was a kid. My father gave me a pocket knife. And one of my claims to fame, my most proud moments, I sold a entire pallet of rotten cantaloupes. He gave me a little pocket knife. I was not even 10, maybe 10. And they were all rot spots on them. So now the people who know, that's the sweetest one with the rot yeah. spot because it's the most ripe. You cut the little black spot out. Who knows what kind of mold it was, whatever. We didn't care in the 80s. And you cut that out, throw it on the floor. And then you cut them a little piece and give them a sample. Here, taste this. Taste it <laughs> from a kid. It's a, and, oh, these are so sweet. Yeah, they're, they're uh, you know, a dollar each, three for two. I sold a pallet of, of cantaloupes in a day <laughs> when I was like 10 years old. When Pat That's was brilliant. reading, you know, he, I guess he was reading about the two Sicilies or whatever it is. <laughs> I would go over there and sell rotten cantaloupes. So I don't know anything about, uh, I don't know much about uh, horror culture, but I know how to sell things. Let me ask you a question. Did you know the family that owned Coviello's in Madison? Not personally, no, but my no. wife's cousin used to work for him and this and that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, these- The Coviello brothers were like, when we came to town, they treated us like gold because we, we didn't know anybody and they like kind of took us under their wing and, you know, we, we were customers. Yeah, I met a guy around the corner who used to work for Caviello's, apparently. I forgot. His name is uh, Giuseppe. And older, not that old, but, you know, Italian guy. He rolls on the corner. And and I got this idea. After I did tomatoes, I got. I said, I want to do olives. I cured olives with my dad when I was a kid. I remember doing that. I had this one glass that he would use to smash the olive, you know. Wow. And then I still got the glass. When I moved my mom, because I just built a house for my brother in Madison. And um, I found the glass. I'm like, I had to keep wow. this glass. That he used to put me there because he was a bit of a tyrant, you know, and I would sit there and he would crack the owls for him. We would put them with, you know, celery and, uh, and oregano. We would make, but we cured him. So I was like, I want to cure owls. So I, I saw this guy out in front of his house. And I never talked to him before, but my wife knew him because her family knows him. He used to work for them and her cousin. So I stopped one day. I started talking to him. Now the guy's my best friend. Talk about the close community, right? Yeah. He went and bought me a case of olives at Corrado's or somewhere. Now he found Aww. a better place. It's cheaper. Brought it to my house, dropped it off. Then he bought me five jars of olives. You know, oh, these are. Then he just shows up with mushrooms. He knows how to pick mushrooms, how to forage for mushrooms. And you got to put garlic in because if you don't put garlic, if the garlic turns blue, you'll die. And I already. So my grandfather about- said. Yeah. That's what my grandfather always said. If the garlic turns blue, you die. A mason jar full of, uh, you know marinated mushrooms that he picked on you got to pick them under an oak tree when the sun's setting in the seventh day and all this yeah. and i'm afraid to eat them so i said i'm gonna wait a little while if i see them <laughs> out there i know it's not the wrong mushroom uh, but yeah you made and it's because of the, again because of this podcast and i did the tomatoes and then i got the i got the woolly as they say right yeah and as i want to do olives, i asked this guy he's like i never did them but if you do them all so i wound up doing them i don't think i did them right I know you guys are talking about making some sort of database of how to do this stuff, which yeah. was your idea, right, Pat? Making a, uh, you know, use my- I got a lot of ideas. I forget half. <laughs> I think it was something about like, start, I forget about it. because I didn't know what I'm doing. I put them in it and I'm draining them every day. I'm like, this stuff is this, this smells. It's a lot of work. You got to put the egg. You got to put a raw egg in the water. That's what I did. A raw egg. When the egg comes to the top, the top you know, yeah. See, I have the internet now. I did it on my iPhone. I looked up. I said, how do I, how do I cure olives? And I got thousands of recipes, but I'd rather hear it from you. Let me tell you something. One last thing, Mike. You have to send us your father's famous antibast. I sent it to you last Christmas. Pat. No, no. For the, no, for the, for the podcast. I want to show everybody. You got to send Stephanie the picture of your antibast. It is the greatest antibast. It's huge. It's like the shield of a Roman gladiator. You know, I started teaching my son how to make it last year and I make it every year. And now this year, what, what's a Christmas this year, right? There's no Christmas. I know. Now, so my, my in-laws, you know, her mom makes a lasagna and her mom's sauce is the best sauce in the world. So that's why I wanted, when I wanted to do the tomatoes, I said, I got it. They're not that old. They're in their late seventies. So I got to get them here. And I want to yes. see how they did it because I did it a different way as a kid. And I haven't done it in almost 30 years. I think we might've done it once, maybe tried it. 
And uh, when I found that machine at, when I was moving my mom, I was like, the machine works. I'm going to use this machine this year. And then it wound up, you know, it was good timing, but um, we did it her style, which is different than we used. We used to do it complete so that it was like the sauce was completely cooked and then yeah. you jarred it. And then when you wanted to use it, you open the jar, you heated it up for five minutes and it's done. We had a big conversation about that. A lot of people like Rosella does it one way. Dolores does it another way. My mother-in-law does it a different way. A lot of people have cooked the sauce. So it's just sauce. And not like we, we call, I guess ours is past tomatoes, but some people it's, it's full sauce, got everything in it. So the way we did it this year, we got the tomatoes, we washed them, we cut them up, you know, we, we, we cooked them. Mm-hmm. Once they were a little soft, then we put them through the machine three, four times because you got to get all that juice out of the skin, right? You can't oh, yeah. anything go to waste. Then we took that and then we cooked that for an hour, hour and a half. Then we took that, put it in the hot jars and then we water, you know, we hot, hot water bath, that, whatever you call yeah. it. And sealed and turned them upside down. We had to have a blanket. You know, I want, I wanted my. Then my father-in-law got annoying, and I sent them home. I said, right, "Enough, get out of here." <laughs> he wants everything fast, fast his way. And I'm the boss, and I've been used to being the boss for so long, and and you know, managing 15 people. I, I don't want to listen to anybody. So he was getting. I said, "Listen, go home." He got tired, and then her brother <laughs> helped me. You know, for the rest, we did it. However, we turned it upside down. You know, turned the cans upside down. We covered them with a sheet or a blanket or. And maybe she said a prayer over him or something, but it came out good. I gave a bunch of can- jars away. Everybody loved it. And I didn't make enough. So next year <laughs> we make a big production out of it. Hopefully there'll be no more uh, virus going around, hopefully. Yeah. And uh, I'm an, I had my son's friends came over. They're not Italian. They loved it. The kid was yeah. in there with this, with the stick. He's pushing the thing through that. We send the pictures to the mother. The mother was freaking out. Everybody loved it. So it was fun next year. We only did, I think, five or six K next year. We're going to do 20 because I have that thing where I got to do a little bit more, a little bit bigger. You certainly earned the award. Beyond. This is my people, John. You understand me better now? Yeah. This is my tribe. You know, Pat wanted to create this award to recognize people who are evolving the culture forward by reviving, reincorporating and evolving these traditions. And the fact that you went out and, you know. You're, you're doing tomatoes. You know, I, I think being here, you have my own, I have my own business. We used to sell produce. So I, it's still hard for me to go to the supermarket and buy produce retail. I still yeah. get a little, ugh, I shake, <laughs> I hate it. I want to go buy a case and get, I'll go buy a case and give half of it to this guy, half of that guy, just because I don't want to buy one. You know, I don't want to yeah. buy two pounds of it because it, it bothers me. You're right, though. You know, I always uh, would rather do it that way than do it the, uh, you know, and God forbid anything in a package. And I tell my kids, see, my son's getting, I got to be careful now because he uh, he's getting a little, I'm like, what do you think? You're one of these, Amer- these people that give Lunchables? I, if you're <laughs> I'll throw her out the window. Are you kidding me? And his uh, friends are starting to make fun of him. He had a few friends that were making fun of his food. And I thought, they're so funny, your food. You're eating he- whole, wonderful homemade food that your mother make. There's no frozen chicken nug. What the f- is a chicken nug? <laughs> I tell him this. I tell him, I said, chickens don't have fingers. What's a chicken finger? Your mother yeah. makes chicken cutlets. Fresh. Not this frozen shit, this stuff. Get out of here with that. So tell your son, uh, and I know you listen with him, and we'll shout him out on this episode. He's carrying on a beautiful tradition of proud Italian Americans who got made fun of for their lunch and the greasy paper bags of, you know, cutlet sandwiches. Yeah. We've all been there. Mike? Yes. It is my tremendous honor to bring you into the Order of the Golden Star for the outstanding work you did in preserving and propagating our culture. You are an honor to your family. You are an honor to the town of Lyndhurst. You are an honor to Jersey City, to your children, to your parents, and to Queen of Peace High School. I am proud to call you a friend, a fellow alumnus, and I am proud to bring you into this first class of glorious honorati who are pioneers in preserving and propagating our culture. And for the tomato sauce that you made, Mike, I want to say thank you. Thank you on behalf of the entire community for all that you are doing for us, for keeping us, our culture, alive. Well, listen, guys, this was a pleasure. I, um, it's an honor. Thank you very much. No, thank and, you. Uh, whenever you want to do a, a full one, Pat, and you got like four hours for me. Uh, Absolutely. And we got to get, I want to get model on about these tomatoes. Yeah. That's fantastic. Your favorite entertainment made in Italy. Media said Italia has new dramas, addictive quiz shows, and the hottest reality TV this spring. Tune in for new seasons of Italy's favorite talent competition, Amici. The fastest quiz show around, Avanti Un Altro. Celebrities marooned on an island in L'Isola dei Famosi. And don't miss new dramas airing Wednesdays starring your favorite Italian talents. DirecTV has the Italian TV you love. Get Mediaset Italia for $10 a month plus taxes 
or Italian Direct Package for $20 a month plus taxes. Visit directtv.com slash mediaset or call 1-877-912-2702 to learn more and subscribe. World Direct a la carte service requires activation of a qualifying base package. All programming subject to change. For new customers, equipment lease, activation, early termination, equipment non-return, and other charges and restrictions apply. Call 1-877-912-2702 or visit att.com for full details. Well, Pat, that was a beautiful testament to a guy who obviously means a great deal to you. And uh, I'm really happy that we got to have that conversation with somebody who's doing good work moving forward the culture. I'm really glad that you take the time to recognize people who are doing good things. And I'm going to turn it back to you again and uh, let you introduce your final honoree for this episode. Um, So now we have another one of our gold star winners with us here today. And I'm going to give our producer. Stephanie Longo, since our honoree is from her home turf of the world-famous Lackawanna County, she is now going to introduce to us our recipient. Ciao tutti. I'd like to introduce Teresa Cordelli. She is a resident of Peckville, Pennsylvania, so a suburb of Scranton. And she and I have known each other for several years. Her husband, Mark, and I worked together at the Scranton Times. And the thing that I love the most about both Teresa and Mark is just how they live their Italian heritage every day. And Teresa does something extremely special on her Facebook page. She loves to showcase the Italian cooking that she does, but she showcases old recipes that come from her family. And the one that I brought to Pat's attention was actually this edible Easter basket that she does that was handed down throughout her family. So Teresa, can you tell us a little bit about that? I sure can. I sure can. First, I must say that in my heart, I do believe that tradition is the brick and mortar to life. We were very fortunate, my brother and I, to grow up in a beautiful very closely knit Italian family. Um, We lived actually with my Nona and Nono, my mom's parents. And we lived in the homestead that actually my grandfather was in construction. So he built the homestead and it was enjoyed for three generations. Uh, My grandparents, my mom and dad. And then actually when Mark and I did get married, the home has four floors. So we gutted one of the floors and we actually did not stray too far. So when they actually say, you know, you get married, but you kind of live near your parents, that's very true. But the story with the Easter basket, I remember as a little girl, my Nona Gasparini, my mom's mom, um, there were no recipes. Um, And actually the secret to this is the cup with the broken handle, which was my grandmother's And that was the cup that she used to measure the flour. So unfortunately, that cup got destroyed in the move from Naples back home. But that was the the cup. Naples, Florida, not Naples. Not Naples, Italy, Naples, Florida. So um, it's just the usual, um, you know, ingredients that she would make. It was a a, a sweet bread. It was a, a little on the sweeter side. And what she would actually do was she had bowls. I actually use a like two Pyrex bowls. I've kind of modernized it a little bit, but she would actually roll the dough almost like a gnocchi and she would roll it around the bowl. And then she would place it on a baking sheet and she would get another bowl and she would braid either braid it or do some kind of fancy design. And I kind of just do my own thing with it. And it just turns out really cute. And I just wrap it around a smaller bowl and then you bake it in the oven and then you remove it and you let it sit for maybe about an hour. Then you just put it together and we always had them as Easter baskets, but it was edible. So you could basically eat it because it was bread. It was the same bread that she would make, you know, eight or nine or 10 loaves of bread. So it, it really was delightful. But she would use basically, I could remember some of her aluminum pans. Some of the baskets were even square. So it was basically whatever she had in the house. But there were no recipes. And my grandmother, unfortunately, she went to second grade. They worked. They worked very hard. 
so her writing was not the best. So it took years and years for my mom because my grandmother would say to my mother, you know, I'll make it, I'll make it. You go over there, I'll make it. Don't bother me, I'll make it. So finally my mom did, you know, kind of get some recipes. And then throughout the years, you know, my mom and I just kind of perfected things because again, there were no recipes. So the papers that I do have are from my mom. And some of the papers are so old, you know, my mom would take notes and she would write them and and they're going back. I was born in 1959. So they're quite old. And um, I actually made a a beautiful um, cookbook when my niece got engaged. So I gave that to her at her bridal shower. So they were all recipes from my grandmother, from my Nona. And now my, my Nona Pascucci, my dad's mom, I did not know either grandparent, unfortunately. You know, I was only, I think, a year when they passed away. But they did, they did something very similar. My aunt, my dad's sister, would make not a basket, but she would make a little gingerbread boy. Um, and I think she would, she would call it either like a, a dove. How do you say dove? Um, Columba. Okay. She would, and it, it really didn't look like a dove. It looked more like a little gingerbread boy. And what she would do was she would place a hard boiled egg in the, in the belly and she would like crisscross the arms with dough. So she made it that way. And then she would put icing on hers with the little colored sprinkles. So I used to go down there, but, and that was a big production because I would go down and I would sleep at their house and I would wake up at three in the morning. My aunt would wake me up and she would say, okay, we have to make the bread and it would take hours. But what they would do is they would put the bread under a heating blanket so that it could, you know, raise a little bit faster, but they were just so good in in their own, in their own way. And unfortunately, I'm really the only one that, that knows the recipes. Um, there's not. That's many. why you got the award. That's why I got the award. I guess. Like, you know? Recipe keeper. And yeah. Exactly. Your niece's family will only have access to this because you did the right thing. That's exactly it. And it's, you know, it's you know, you just don't want to see these these precious recipes and traditions die. And you know, I'm the one that really has all the parties with the polenta parties and. Where were your grandparents from in Italy? My, um, my grand, they were all actually born in Perugia in, in my, my, um, paternal grandparents. They were born in Umbria. Now my maternal grandmother, she was actually born here. She was born actually in Nanticoke, which is down the line from Scranton. Let me ask you another question. Where was your maternal grandmother's parents from? Perugia as well? My, yes, they were. They were, they were all born there, pretty much from the, the same area. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, wow. So all your grandparents were what we would call today the north of Italy or central Italy. Central Italy, correct. Because that tradition is so prevalent in the south of the mm-hmm. Eastern bread made with eggs. Or mm-hmm. even make a cookie with a hard-boiled egg in it. Right, right. I did not, I did not know that it also existed in Perugia. Well, you know what? Now, that was on my dad's my my aunt my dad's sister but she kind of tweaked a little bit they her she married a gentleman and they were from southern italy they were they were from sicily so i think she kind of mixed them up a little bit but because my grandmother never did anything like that my mother's mom with the eggs you know in in the so i was going to say in, in sicily they have a cookie that is made it's basically like a cookie that's made with a hard boiled egg in the center and Easter egg because really? throughout the Mediterranean, in Greece and, and Southern Italy, Easter eggs were incorporated into Easter breads. So you made regular bread all year long and you sweetened it and you put some dairy in it. You might put some milk in it or some type of cheese in it, some type of sugar for Easter. And so that would be part of breaking the Easter fast and eggs, which have such a long in Christianity with Easter and with resurrection, would be incorporated into the bread, but also the priest would bless the bread and the eggs in honor of Easter. There were certain select blessings. And now in Italy, even though in a lot of places, the Easter bread with the egg is still made, it doesn't have the wow effect it had for our ancestors. 
Right. So that was exactly. that was kind of specialism. And you in North, because so many people don't realize, like the people in Jessup from right. Gubbio, there is a strong Northern Italian connection mm-hmm. to Northeastern Pennsylvania that people exactly. don't realize exactly. that it's there. And, you know, another thing is also, I've said, a lot of Italians, when they came here, came up with their own recipes. The Italian uh, predisposition to creativity mm-hmm. evolved. So someone, someone who was from Perugia, who married someone from Sicily, could come mm-hmm. up with a hybrid that was not only a mark of their own amalgamated family, but of, of, a, of a new and inventive America. Exactly. But we just want to compliment you because this this epic work you did of transferring, Uh, how else would your niece have had this connection to her great-grandparents had it not been for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we want to encourage people because once it's gone, it's gone. Well, that's exactly it. And and that's one thing, you know, I I refuse. You know, you just, I just love it all. I really do. And, you know, I know you mentioned about the Easter. Easter breakfast was probably as big as Christmas Eve dinner. Um, We always had Easter breakfast. That was tradition. And that Easter breakfast went on for hours and hours. And I mean, it started with frittata. My my grandmother would make it in a, a huge black skillet. And I still have the skillet and, um, you know, with the potatoes and then we would have the biscotti and the ciambelloni and, and pizzelles and I mean, everything, the, the cheese crescia and, oh, it, it just was delightful. You know, it's just so unfortunate that, you know, there's, there's really, everyone has pretty much passed, you know, in my family, it's just, you know, my, my brother and I, and we were fortunate that um, uh, my mom had one sister and they lived right next door to us. So I basically had two moms, let's put it that way. My mom and my aunt Eleanor. And uh, our home was always referred to as like a compound because my aunt had three daughters and it was my brother and I. So we were raised pretty much as, as one family. We had every dinner together in the summertime. We were outside on the picnic table. We, we ate dinner every, every single day, you know, together, such great memories, you know, and, you know, having the parties all the time that this is where everyone comes is now I've, I've carried on that tradition and, and I love it. I really do. It's just, it's just wonderful. And that's why we, we've honored the people that we've honored with this first round of awards, because our desire to give these golden stars are to encourage other people, Absolutely. Um, whether, it's, whether it's building your own Presepio, jarring tomatoes for the first time at home for 30 years, Writing a cookbook for your niece with all the family recipes so that they won't be lost and continuing the, the Easter bread tradition. And w- the reason we hope it inspires other people is that by doing this, we, we can guarantee you a dividend. No one is going to come back and say, I wish I hadn't wasted time on writing the cookbook or I, I wish I had never built the Presepio. Or mm-hmm. what, they're going to be cursing and screaming while they're doing it. Why the heck am I drawing these tomatoes I can get from the right. shop? Right. But when Mike jarred the tomatoes and he brings all of his family together mm-hmm. and pass it on to your children and everyone's gathered around a cauldron jarring these tomatoes, that's what makes us who we are. Absolutely. And we know our viewers that if they if they take again, take up some of these traditions, that they're gonna receive a benefit from them, a dividend. They and sure so that's will. why we have picked three outstanding Italian Americans to that's honor. Awesome. So on behalf of a grateful community, we just want to say thank you. And I thank you. This was awesome. Really great. I really love hearing all these stories, especially stories about people who are taking action to revive something that was lost. I think that that's the most beautiful thing you can do. I think the idea that just because something has not been done or gone into sort of hibernation Uh, We oftentimes think that that means it doesn't need to exist. And I think that's unfair. I think that that's sort of a defeatist attitude. And so to be able to hear these stories and hear these examples of people who are aware of how important it is to put in that extra effort, because it is, it's a lot of work, you know, and uh, I just, this is a very inspiring chance for us to reconnect to the stuff that makes us passionate about being Italian American and hear the things that make other people and those who are out there listening to what we're doing, passionate about being Italian-American. And, and Pat, this was great. I really appreciate you coming up with this. And I really have to say a special thank you to Mike Giordano, because it was all the positive messages that I've received from Mike. 
about how the podcast has positively impacted him and his family and his concept of, I'll say, the Italian-American civilization and the fact that he decided to draw tomatoes with his children and the love that he has for his son when they listen to the podcast. He was the inspiration why I came up with this award because I want to tell those people we appreciate you for the encouragement you give us to keep this going because it's a lot of work. I don't think people yeah. know. I, yeah. John hoodwinked me in this. I don't know how I got, I got into it, but <laughs> it went into a hobby and it's become a way of life for us. But yeah. what keeps us going is when we see positive results, like the beautiful messages I get from Mike and I see the beautiful things it's doing for his family. We want to spread this love to everyone. We want to make this a contagious uh, a contagious disease in the best sense that we want it to spread everywhere. We want a pandemic of Italian civilization. Amen. Let's hope we spread this contagion everywhere. If you or somebody that you know and love is out there and has revived a family tradition or brought it forward or, or created something yourself that brings the family together, you are clearly eligible for this amazing Patrick A. O'Boyle uh, award, whatever its name may end up being. I think it'll change a million times, but let us know. Write to us on ItalianAmericanPodcast.com. Find us on social media. Send us a message. Let us know what it is that uh, you or your loved ones are out there doing that deserves to be in the second round of this uh, new award that I think says a lot about the commitment that's out there to keeping the community going and, and evolving it forward. So from all of us at the Italian American Podcast, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. And your life will be great. See that you're born an Italian. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano and...